In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel is uh, from a brief passage from the Gospel of St. Mark that tells us about the arrival of Jesus to Jerusalem. And of course, arriving in Jerusalem, he went into the temple. And it is as though he arrived there expecting to find a place of peace and serenity and prayer, which was the purpose of the temple, where sacrifices were offered. It was meant to be a, a truly sacred place where the Holy of Holies would dwell. But instead, he went into the temple and began driving out those who were selling and buying there. He upset the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those who were selling pigeons. Nor would he allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he taught them and said, Does not scripture say my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples? But you have turned it into a den of thieves. This came to the ears of the chief priests and the scribes, but they tried to find some way of doing away with him. They were afraid of him because the people were carried away by his teaching. And when evening came, he went out of the city. Well, let us try to understand this passage of Jesus in the temple. Why is he reacting like this? I mean, the temple was the holiest place on earth. It really was uh, everything. The Ark of the Covenant was there. It had originally been held in the sanctuary at Sechem and then at Shiloh. But after King David captured Jerusalem, the Ark was moved there. And eventually, Solomon uh, built this temple and it was rebuilt numerous times for a place really to keep the holiest of holies there. Jesus had been in Jerusalem before, but now he enters at a moment in which he really is the Messiah. He's been already received uh, you know, with great triumph into the holy city. Now he's not entering simply as a pilgrim. He's really entering, kind of claiming his place as king. And he sees the situation of the temple. There's upheaval, there's trafficking, there's noise, there's human profit. This is not what the temple was meant to be or what it was for. And so he drove out these people, all these people, the things that were causing this upheaval. 
precisely because the temple was meant to be holy. It's as though he was flabbergasted at what had happened to it with all those merchants seeking to dominate that place and making it into a place of exchange. So it reminds us now, as we think of the Temple of Jerusalem, that we too, right now, are in a sacred place, and that we ourselves are temples. This is a temple, you could say, where the Holy of Holies is kept, and it is the place where the liturgy takes place, where the Mass takes place, but of course the place in which we pray. And it is an invitation given the kind of dramatic response that our Lord had to see how our manners, how our recollected attitude is inside any church, any, any oratory, indeed any moment in which we are participating uh, in the liturgy to see if we really have good liturgical formation. St. Josemaria, he would speak about having good manners, good manners in a, in a church or in an oratory. That is, to have a good liturgical formation. He, he formed some of the early members of the church. And he would, in the way he speaks about you know, how, how sad it was to see these, what he described as so-called pious people who don't really know how to attend Mass. Or even, he would say, how to bless themselves. Who don't really know how to go through the Mass. The responses, the kind of inter, interactive element in, in the liturgy, or even the reverence or the way to dress, because it's as though they're not aware that they're really in the presence of God. And of course, one of the important elements that he points out, of course, is the sign of the cross. They make the sign of the cross in, in a very uh, sort of distracted way. And you know, we can think that how often we make the sign of the cross. It is particularly important today because we're about to enter on Sunday into, the, into celebrating the solemnity of the, of the Holy Trinity, the ultimate revelation of who God really is in his essence. And this, is, this essence of God as a trinity is particularly well um, sort of expressed by the sign of the cross that we do at the beginning of Mass and even outside the Mass. We say, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. You know, we, we just make a sign of the cross over our very body, that very body that is a temple of God. And that sign of the cross is meant to express our faith in the mystery of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it is also meant to express our faith in the power of the crucifixion, the, the, the sweet word of the incarnation. And in, you could say that making the sign of the cross is the briefest act of adoration and of faith in the two great mysteries that appear in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, or rather in the indwelling of the Blessed Trinity. Just in that simple sign of the, the sign of the cross. Because the Trinity really is in your soul in grace, but our crucified Lord is there present as well. That's why we make it over our bodies, kind of 
as though we were on the cross in some way. And, uh, we, and so that's why, you know, when we think about it, we shouldn't see the mystery of the Trinity as some distant theological concept, a philosophical com- concept, right? Because indeed, just with a gesture like that, we can become intimate with the divine persons as one and as three through that simple sign of the cross, which we can begin our day with, which we begin our mass with. Mm-hmm. So, it's important that we remind ourselves of that fundamental truth that we are expressing with that very simple gesture, which is the sign of the cross. Because it is a sign of our adoption, it is a sign of our life. It is a sign that we make over our body as we actually stand. Almost as though we were harking back in the very position that our Lord held when he was on the cross. We're kind of imitating in some way that position as he hung there. Maybe for some, making the act of, making the, the sign of the cross is kind of a superstitious act. We know many football players who do that when they go out onto the field. Whenever Messi has to make a penalty shot, you can be sure that he's going to make the sign of the cross. But it's not exactly, let's say, a very pious sign of the cross. It's just like a quick move. Some of them, they kiss their, their fingers as they come out. It's just like, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, kind of like the sign of the cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, bullfighters do that in Spain as well. When they're entering the rink and they face this ravenous bull, they, well, it's a good thing. Make the sign of the cross right there. Mm-hmm. Although maybe it should be the bull that should be making the sign of the cross because he's going to end up uh, pretty bad. But, you know, he's just a bull. So, you know. But we know that the early Christians started doing it probably at the end of the first or the beginning of the second century. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was used in baptisms. The way the water was poured out in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? People would use it in baptisms, then they would use it at the beginning of the day, then they would use it, the sign of the cross, at the end of the day. It really, it was expressing two things, that a profession of faith mm-hmm. and a belonging to Christ crucified. Even we have uh, testimonies from early fathers of the church, like Tertullian, who said that it was a prayer, the sign of the cross, that acknowledged the presence of God and the protection of the crucified one. If you had the protection of the crucified one, who is now risen, right? he said, he says very concretely, he says, in all our actions, when we come in or go out, when we dress, when we wash, at our meals, before resting to sleep, make an, on our forehead the sign of the cross. So he was referring just to the, you know, just to the forehead. This is why before the gospel we make a sign of the cross on our forehead, on our lips, and on our, on our, on our heart. And I remember when I first uh, started going to Mass before really being Catholic, I, I was trying to you know, figure out how, how one does everything. You know, I, I learned the sign of the cross and so forth, and I learned the genuflection and everything. And you know, I learned, uh, you know, the Lord be with you. And we used to say, and also with you, but now, now it's with your spirit. But uh, I learned all those things. 
But what always flummoxed me was uh, what people were doing at the, at the gospel, because uh, the priest would say, you know, the gospel, you know, reading from the Holy Gospel according to John, and I would watch people, and they were doing something on their head, something on their mouth, but I couldn't tell what it was. It was just, it was just like, I only had one chance, and then I had to wait for the next Mass, you know. And it was just like, okay, next, next Mass, let's see what they're doing. And they're, they're doing something, but I couldn't tell what it was. So finally, I asked my friend, what are they doing when they begin the Gospel? And he looked at me like, you know, with the rolling his eyes and said, dude, it's the sign of the cross on the forehead so that the Gospel is in your mind, on your lips so that you speak the Gospel, and on your heart so that you really, truly believe both what you hold in your mind and what's on your lips. So there's a unity there. And then the whole thing is covered again with another sign of the cross. Well, that one I could tell, but I couldn't tell the other ones. So there are three crosses plus one big one, covering our whole life, you could say. And it's beautiful to think that that kind of sign of the cross has existed for centuries. But it may just exist uh, almost superficially, almost as though it were superstition. And, of course, we know that Christians have had recourse to the sign of the cross as a prayer in times of, of temptation. We know from one of the early popes, St. Hippolytus, from the first century, he wrote, When tempted, always reverently seal your forehead with the sign of the cross. You know, when tempted. For this sign of the passion is a symbol openly combating the devil if you make it in faith. Not in order that you may be seen by others, but conscientiously putting it forth like a shield. So you're, like, you're, you're protecting yourself like a shield when you use the sign of the cross. And the more we remember the indwelling of the Blessed Trinity, the more we shall be able to see all the truths and all the gifts of our faith in relation to it. That is in relation to the Blessed Trinity. Because that's the essence of our faith. That is the essence of who God really is. He's a, he's a blessed Trinity. And there are so many things that can gradually become associated with it, with that mystery of the Blessed Trinity, and serve as reminders. So that the Trinity is not some distant thing. So we say, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. We could say that many times a day. And as we're saying that, we're speaking about the mysterious indwelling of the Blessed Trinity in our soul. And we have to be that temple. I mean, above all, the Mass. You know, we can offer the Mass in honor of the Blessed Trinity, those three persons. Three persons are taking possession of us there. And... You know, whenever we go to Mass, we got to think of the indwelling of the Blessed Trinity. When we think of them, we, we link it with the Mass, which is the sacrifice of our redemption and the fact that we're becoming adopted uh, sons of God. And at the same time, of course, the link with the Mass is that our Lord remains with us as Emmanuel. God with us, that's what Emmanuel means. And he instituted the Blessed Sacrament, the Holy Eucharist, as a continuation of the Incarnation, of his real presence. And 
he is there for, for the same reason here on earth. Not only to be with us himself, but to deepen and foster our union with the Blessed Trinity. That's why he's here. He wants to bring about that union. Whether it's a union with him, a union with the Father, and union with the Holy Spirit. This is why he feeds us with himself. We were going to have the Feast of Corpus Christi later on this month because he wants to feed us with himself. Just as he taught us and died for us. By shedding his precious blood. So while he did that, he established the indwelling of this dynamic blessed trinity in our soul. Both on earth and, of course, in heaven. Because in heaven, we're going to have a kind of a continuation of what we have already begun here or foreshadowed here uh, on this earth. That's why the Lord is kind of like flabbergasted at seeing the temple in such an upheaval. It was meant to be a quiet, serene place, reflecting the presence of God. But there was noise, there was the exchange of the doves, there's the lambs, there's the, the money changers, the, you know, how many are you going to give me for this? And, you know, haggling, and many of the people were there simply for profit. But we must imagine if our Lord went in there, turning over the tables, he would not have done that in any way unjustly to anybody. Nobody would have suffered, like nobody would have been doing something totally beautiful, pious, and then received that kind of um, sort of attack of our, our Lord. He was not dealing with anybody unjustly here. He was working with perfect rectitude, knowing who he was. He knew exactly the minds of all those who were there. He knew their hearts. And what pain it must have caused him to see that upheaval. My house is a house of prayer. How much he really wants us to pray here. How much he really wants us to pray now, to pray to him, to pray when we look at the Blessed Sacrament, when we make a genuflection. He was in the temple, and that temple was symbolic of every human person. That temple, that beautiful temple, that people uh, you know, were in awe at seeing how beautifully it was decorated. That is a symbol of the temple that is each one of us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. So, it's a good opportunity. We examine, is there a ruckus in, my, in the temple that I am? Is there upheaval in my thoughts? in the way I interact? Is there lack of peace? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? You know, am I just acting humanly? Is, is, it, is what's going on in my mind kind of motivated by some form of, I gotta prove to others that I can do this, you know? I'm just doing this out of profit, so to speak. In other words, out of merely human motives. I am a temple. I mean, St. Paul said, did you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? Like, like as though the, the phraseology is as though he's expecting them to know. It's, it's amazing you know, to think that your very self, my very self, is meant to be a temple where God's Spirit dwells and where prayer, which is communion with God, is central. Prayer has got to be central in us. And we ask, well, what happens to us sinners? Money changers... And the merchants, they enter in, 
That place was supposed to be a place of prayer, but it was a den of thieves. So maybe the Lord has to do now what he did there in that temple. He has to do a bit of house cleaning in our soul. Because we are the temple. If things are a mess, things are dusty and dirty. What is the shape the temple of your soul is in? What, what kind of shape is it? Suppose that our Lord would come in there with a whip of cords or a rope of some kind and made a whip out of it. He made knots. Maybe the knots could be made into ten knots and they would be the knots of the Ten Commandments. And he would go, whip us with that, you know. Are you living the Ten Commandments? Or what would he clear out in your soul, in my soul? That is something we can examine. Perhaps the house cleaning can begin by the way we see and live and experience the Blessed Trinity in the Mass, in the way we assist at Mass, in the way we focus, in the way we do our prayers. Maybe, you know, St. Josemaria would tell us about distinguishing each person in the Blessed Trinity. Maybe we need more quiet. Maybe we, we're too distracted. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century French uh, philosopher, said that there was a, a good criteria to measure the success of education in a young person, he said. You want to see if that person has been well-formed or well-educated, especially like in an adolescent. He would say that person is well-formed if they are able to spend several hours alone in a dark room, seated and in silence. And he would watch them. Is this guy able to sit there? What would happen to us if we were submitted to this test? Dark room, no lights, obviously no phone, no earbuds. You'd be entering into a, a temple. So would that temple be full of like distractions, activity, and smell of manure and that means that the body is the place where God is really meant to be worshipped. Our body, our soul, like the two naturally are interconnected. But in your body too. It's a description really of what we're supposed to be. That is our body must be a place of worship, a place of silence, a place of serenity. We find happiness there and balance in the degree that we are able to integrate God into our life and become, let him become first. And that's why St. Paul, the letter to Corinthians, you know, do you not know that your temple, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You, he said, are not your own. We can think of the Holy Spirit invading our body, invading our mind, our thoughts. He comes expecting to find a place of purity, of prayer, but maybe he just finds a marketplace. The last series we saw, the last uh, upheaval we had, the last images we saw. A marketplace is a place in which people are profiting in a material sense. 
our soul might be a marketplace if it had been like overtaken by human vision, overtaken maybe by forms of materialism, even hedonism. We, we speak about that, you know, when people ask me about, you know, Father, can I, is it okay if I smoke marijuana? You know, just once in a while I'll have a smoke with my friends. Anything, is it a sin? It's not illegal anymore. Is it a sin? You know, and you're expected to say, well, it's a sin and is it not a sin? And uh, as, as though they, as though that were their criteria, which, well, I guess it's good that that's your criteria, but really, you know, the use of marijuana really is in the, is in the manifestation ultimately of nihilism. To, to think that you need to enjoy yourself like that, doing that kind of damage to your brain or whatever marijuana does, it's either on the one side a form of nihilism or it's a form of hedonism. Like you're faced with anxiety, you're faced with difficulties, you're faced with a challenge, so many people use it as a coping mechanism right? because they, I, don't, I don't want to face this thing. Because it's as, though, it's as though you can't go into your temple and see the Lord there dwelling, waiting for you. It's a marketplace. It's a place, yeah, where you're kind of worshiping the things of the world. You know, it's like, it's like a big place where all the big companies are selling their wares. The soul is a marketplace. Like those big fairs where everybody's trying to draw your attention. You go like a, an automobile show and you see the latest Ferrari. You see the Lamborghini here. You see, you know, the Ford Focus. I don't know, you know. What else has invaded your soul? You know, is it wealth? Is it pleasure? Is it power? Is it my own will, my own desires, my own desire for honor? You know, what place do all those ting- things take in the temple of my heart, my soul, my body, my me? You know? If they came to your heart, if we came now into your heart and we... I don't know, did some kind of uh, examination not on how the physicality of the heart is, but like the essence of your values, like that temple. What will we find there? What are the deepest cares of your life? Is it truly a temple where one can pray? Well, the sign of the cross, we got that. Maybe we can make the sign of the cross, you know. Uh, there are many places where we say the sign of the cross. The, the actual use of it started in particular during the turbulent uh, Christological controversies of the 4th century, you know, because it emphasizes the divinity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you know, it also connects those divinities with, with the crucifixion. You know, and eventually this was defined in the ecumenical councils there, like Nicaea and Constantinople, but the sign of the cross is like what it seemed like it held everything together. So we do the sign of the cross, like we priests, when we say the breviary, we begin, you know, we make the, the, the sign of the cross and we say, Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. We make the sign of the cross on our lips with our thumb. So we're, when we're going to pray, we make the sign of the cross there. In baptism, the priest does it. Uh, Godparents are even invited. The parents and the godparents are invited to make the sign of the cross on the child, on the forehead. And uh, they can just do it in silence, the sign of the cross right there. Confirmation, when the anointing, it's, it's a sign of the cross that you're making with the, with the oil. 
In the anointing of the sick, it's the same thing. When the priest, uh, his head, hands are anointed when he is anointed, when he is uh, ordained. And we priests, we bless people with the sign of the cross. We go like that, with the sign of the cross. They're going on a trip, okay, I'm going to bless you with the sign of the cross. Right? Our body's a temple. And that sign will remember or remind us hey, that the Blessed Trinity is always present with us. Naturally standing next to us is our Blessed Mother. She can teach us really how to make that sign of the cross in a way that will bring back to us the dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit in our soul. Make us men of peace. Make us men of serenity and charity in everything we do. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.